Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 5th of February 2017, entitled Insights into Infirmities. The Bible reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, let's open our Bibles this evening as we look into God's Word. Uh, Book of Hebrews again this evening, but this time in chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we'd like to take our main text from here and then have just just a few simple thoughts this evening. I'm going to invite you to stand as we have a reading from from God's Word taken from Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 12 and read down through verse 16. Verse 12 says, For the Word of God is quick, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, we thank you so much that we have the privilege, the freedom, the place to come. Lord, as we gather here this evening to be able to read from your word once again. Father, we thank you that we not only have your word before us, but your spirit within. Lord, to give us clarity, to give us understanding, to speak to us that this evening, which, Lord, we cannot in any way speak to ourselves. So help us, Lord, as we look into your word over these next moments. You know the hearts, you know the intents, as we just read here. Therefore, you know the needs of each one here this evening. Lord, may you do that which will bring glory and honor to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. The Bible tells us in these few short verses here, of course, we begin by reading of the power of God's Word. That God's Word is able to cut, to divide. He says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. No other book in all the world can do that. God's Word and God's Word alone. Then he goes on to tell us that neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. God, there's nothing that he doesn't see. He says, all things are naked and open to the eyes of him which whom we have to do. Now, this is important for the fact that, first of all, we know that God sees everything that you're going through. He knows exactly what's going on in your life right now. There's nothing that misses his attention. That within itself 
should be a great comfort to us to know that our God knows that. But he goes on with something even more exciting. He says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens and is none other than Jesus Christ himself. He says, understanding that, let us hold fast our professions because he says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Jesus Christ, he not only as God sees and knows the intents of our heart, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he faced, and of course we find here, we'll talk about what these infirmities are in, in just a moment, but this is not just something that he knows about us, that he sees that we are going through, but the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points just like us, but yet without sin. He knows, he says, the feeling of our infirmities. He knows the hurt. He knows the pain. He knows the, the turmoil that we go through many times dealing with the infirmities of this, of this life. But he says because of this, <laughs> we can come boldly to the throne of grace, that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in that time of need. Now, before we look closer at that, I want to turn back, and I don't need much of an excuse for reading this passage of Scripture, but I want to read Romans chapter 8 in light of that. Anybody that's known me for very long knows this is my favorite chapter in all the Bible. I love all of God's Word, but this is my favorite chapter in all of the Word of God, and it says so much to us. And I want to just remind you of those truths this evening in light of what we're reading here. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, not through God, but through our flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The weakness is in the flesh. It'll never be fulfilled in the flesh, but it can be fulfilled in us through the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal man is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, 
He is none of his. <laughs> There's no option here, folks. You're not in the flesh if you're in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, if the Spirit of God is not dwelling in you, then you are in the flesh and you don't belong to God at all. There is no in-between. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Listen to this next verse. In light of all that, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I don't care what we're suffering. He said, the sufferings of this present time, they can't even be compared to that which is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory which will be revealed in us when we're just like him. And he tells us how that's going to happen in just a minute. He says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. We may not see all that now. But it's going to be clear one day. We are going to see it. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, in hope, because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Yes, right now, we know what's waiting for us ahead. Yes, right now, we have to groan in anticipation of that. He says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Our hope in Jesus Christ, our hope in his promise, our hope of what is going to be. He says, likewise... The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. 
We, not, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Wow. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is there to, to help our infirmities. And even sometimes when, man, we get under this thing so bad, we don't even know how to pray for this situation. And yet God that lives within us knows exactly and he says the Spirit itself makes intercession with that great high priest that's gone into heaven that has touched and knows the feeling of our infirmities. He knows not only what we're feeling, he knows exactly what we need. And he's there praying for us even when we don't know what to pray for ourselves. Wow. He says, and he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. God is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He knows exactly because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It's impossible for God to pray against the will of God. So if we're walking in the Spirit and the Spirit has control of our life, he's going to help our infirmities even when we don't know how to deal with it, how to pray for it. He's going to intercede for us on our behalf. And he knows exactly what we need and what the will of God is. And we know that all, all, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, God's purpose. It's God's purpose is the only reason that you're his child today. That's been his purpose from eternity past. And he knew each and every one of you in eternity past. And look at this. He doesn't say that everything that comes into our life is going to be deemed good. All things work together for good. You know what's really mind-blowing about that? All the good things work for our good. All the bad things work for our good. All the things that God sends our way work for our good. <laughs> All the things the devil tries to throw our way, they work for our good in God. If you're the call according to his purpose, if you're his child, if you belong to him, it's all going to work together for good. What good? Well, he says, for whom he did foreknow. For whom he did foreknow. For those that he foreknew. And that wasn't just a sight of somebody down through there that might be his. No, God already knew in eternity past foreknow. The same word that was new when Adam knew Eve, that God knew you in the intimate relationship of you already being his child. Don't try to figure it out. Whom God did foreknow, those that he knew as his children. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, God that knew that you would be his child one day, God already predetermined before time that one day, not that you might, not that you possibly, but one day you would be in the image of his son. You were created in the image of God back in the Garden of Eden. He knew that we would sin. He knew that we would fall from that. But God already knowing you as his child already put a plan in place to where one day you would be restored to that image, the very image of his son, the very image of God. 
that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Oh, he's got the preeminence. <laughs> you know how much I love these next verses. <laughs> For moreover, <laughs> whom he did predestinate, if he foreknew you, he predestinated. For whom he did predestinate them, he also called. You know, <laughs> it didn't start when God called us. That was when our life and his plan for us intersected and came to be. God already knew, and God already put the plan in place. And God then is the one that did the calling, and those he called, he says, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified, praise God. Every one of those are past his. With God, it's a done deal. It can't be undone. God in eternity past, knowing everything that you would go through, knowing every conflict. He came to this earth in the flesh and he tasted those things and he knows the feeling of your infirmities. He knows what you're going through. But praise God, he already had a plan in place that one day as his child, you would be made into the very image of his son. And it's all done. It's all past tense. You can't belong to God. You can't be his child and not be justified and not be glorified, not be made into that image. The devil can't thwart that. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things with all that God has done for you when he knew you, when he put his son there to die on the cross for you? Why do you think he's going to forsake you now? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. God does it all. God's the only one that can justify you. How can anyone lay anything to your charge? You see, when God does away with your sin, nobody else can put it back. When you belong to him, when you're his elect, he says, who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who's God's elect? It's you this evening if you're his child, if you're the one that belongs to him. It's not the world out there. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Same Jesus. God making intercession for us. Well, man, with that in mind, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, I started in this passage with, <laughs> with that verse there in verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. But then I thought, well, how can I get to that <laughs> without what goes before it? And how can I go there without what's going after it? Can we grasp and understand? What is he talking about? That Jesus, that Jesus knows the feeling of our infirmities. What is an infirmity? Sometimes we think it's just something physical. But it's not really at all. You see, an infirmity is technically a disabling weakness. <laughs> it's anything that will make it you unable to accomplish that which you need to accomplish. It is something that disables you from doing that. Something that seems to hinder and often leaves one totally frustrated and needy. You know, we have outside those doors back there, if you go out and go to the left, there's a, a door out there with a little wheelchair and little stick bed on there, and that is a place for those that have disabilities. They're unable to maybe be able to use the facilities that others are. That doesn't make them less of a human being. You see, the fact is, is that we all have infirmities in one way or another. We're all unable. But specifically here, he's talking about something that comes our way, that in some way will disable us, that will hinder us, and often leave us feeling totally frustrated and needy. Well, there's just three things, and I guess I've already used up most of my my time in the introduction, so I'll talk real fast here. <laughs> There's just three simple things I want to give you that I believe that the Bible gives us this insight into these things of infirmities. We know that it's something that Jesus came and felt for. He knows not only about them, he knows exactly how we feel in these things that would hinder us, that would make us unable to do that which we need to do, those things that might, rate, might frustrate us in this life. I want you to know, first of all, infirmities are always real. Whether you understand it or whether you see it, if it's something that is sent a person's way, and we know that it ties in, that in the case of Jesus here in Hebrews, we find that the Scripture is tying it in the fact that he was tempted in all points. So some of these things, these infirmities that he felt, he was tempted in all points, and yet he didn't fall into sin because those temptations came along, those things that he would know what those hindrances would be. Let me just give you some quick examples. Look with me into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You see, probably the man that God used to give us more of the New Testament than anybody else, one of those apostles, one that we might look at and say, yeah, I'm no apostle Paul. No, you're not. But I want you to know that the Apostle Paul had uh, infirmities, and they were real to him. And when he writes to the church here at Corinth, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you 
the testimony of God. I didn't come with being able to speak in excellent ways, being a great orator. I didn't come with all this great wisdom to declare unto you the testimonies of God. He says, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's an awful lot of theological truths we can know, we can understand, we can argue and all those, but let me tell you, if you don't know Jesus Christ and him crucified, none of the rest of it matters anyway. Jesus, he's where it starts and he's where it finishes. We don't need to just know about him. We need to know him. Paul said, hey, I didn't come to impress you with my words and my knowledge. I came to preach to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. Notice what he says in verse 3. He came to do that. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I say to you, there is absolutely no shadow of a doubt that those are infirmities. Those are things that would come to make him unable to accomplish what he needed to accomplish with the church there at Corinth. You see, the word that's translated in your Bible there is a weakness. It literally, asthenia in, in, in the Greek, it literally means I came to you in feebleness. You see, sometimes, and I say this, you know, one of the great encouragements to it here at Bethel is we see Sister Edna come through those doors back there most every Sunday morning and most Sunday evenings. And she comes in and she has to ride in on her machine because she couldn't walk from her house anymore. And she comes down that aisle and sometimes she needs a, a steadying hand because she's feeble in her body. Paul's telling her, hey, look, when I came to you, I didn't come with all my ability to speak and all this knowledge. I came with Jesus Christ and him crucified. And man, when I got here, I came in feebleness. It can mean of body or of mind. It means frailty. It speaks of disease and infirmities and sickness and weaknesses and, and all those things that can come into it. Paul said, man, I didn't come to you in strength. <laughs> I came to you like a, a feeble, frail person. But not just, he says here, just in weakness, he says, I came in, in fear. Oh, you know, most everybody was afraid of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Matter of fact, they were, they were afraid to even follow their instructions to deal with him because of, of the reputation that he had, the power that he held. Why would he go to the church at Corinth with fear? And the word that's translated fear here literally means alarm. Or fright. I mean, he was really afraid. It means not just to be afraid, but to be afraid exceedingly. He was very afraid. It's what we would maybe times speak of sometimes when someone is absolutely terrified. I understand a little bit of that because I can still remember back the first time that I preached my first sermon when I was like 15 years old. <laughs> And I remember working on that thing and planning on that thing and going through all those things. And I even got on, you know, there weren't computers back in those days. <laughs> we had these old royal typewriters, and it was really posh if it had not just the, the black, but it had a black and a red line on there to where you could switch between black and red letters. And I went through, and I, I typed up all this sermon, and I put all my verses in red and all my thoughts in black, and I had this all laid out. And I stepped into that pulpit 
And they didn't need to tie me down. I had to hang on to it to, to keep my balance. I was terrified. I was literally shaking. It wasn't just an exaggeration. It wasn't just a term. I was shaking. My legs were shaking. My voice was shaking. I was looking out there at this congregation full of people. And there must, I don't know, it wasn't a huge crowd, but there was probably between 100 and 150 people there that Sunday morning. Man, I was terrified. And I thought I had a good, you know, 20, 30-minute sermon prepared. Probably about five minutes, man, I'd said everything that was on all those pages. I was done, and I didn't know where to go from there because I was so terrified. This is the Apostle Paul, the man that wrote most of the New Testament, and yet he is sharing with us this infirmity was real with him when he came to the church at Corinth. He said, I came to you, boy. <laughs> and he had one of the finest educations of his day. I didn't come to impress you with my knowledge. <laughs> my oratory abilities. He said, I came to you with Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, man, I had some infirmities. I mean, I had some real infirmities. I was weak. I was feeble. I was frail when I got up there. I was absolutely terrified. Matter of fact, the next word just kind of expresses on that. And in much trembling... That was the kind of fear I had that morning. I was literally trembling. I was shaking. And it literally means to be quaking with fear. The Apostle Paul? Yes. That is the infirmity. But boy, <laughs> you know, those infirmities could have got him down. But notice what he says next. <laughs> and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, I came to you with all those infirmities. And he said, you know, I didn't try to, again, I didn't try to entice you with these words of wisdom that belong to man, but it was a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life because <laughs> I don't want your faith to stand in the wisdom of men and what man can prove to you and what man can say to you. I want it to be in the power of God. I want your faith to be beyond man's wisdom and what man can say and man can do. I want it to be in the power of God. His infirmities were real. Notice if you turn over in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And we find here Philippians chapter 2. Notice what it says in verse 25. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, said, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be 
the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. This was a real infirmity. I'm saying this because there are many today that think that somehow if you're walking with God, you're not going to face any problems in this life. Infirmities, those things that would come along that would hinder you, that would make you unable to do that which you need to do in the Lord's work. Those infirmities are always real. They were real to the Apostle Paul when he came to Corinth. They were real for Epaphroditus. They were very real. He was so sick that it almost took him to death. We find that in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 23, the Bible here tells us, speaking again, Paul writing to young Timothy, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often, what? infirmities, thine often infirmities. Now, he's not telling Timothy to go out and get drunk. <laughs> he's telling Timothy to take a little medicine for his stomach for the infirmities that he has. And in this case, wine was a thing that he had to do that. What I'm wanting you to grasp and understand here is that Timothy, a servant of God, he had real infirmities that the apostle was giving him advice on how to take care of those infirmities that he had in his life. They were real. Turn over just a few pages, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. We find that here the Bible says, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum, how? Sick sick. God's people will face infirmities. Infirmities are always real. But even though infirmities are always real, they're not always removed. They're real. And they would be meant in many cases to hinder you or to make you unable to do something that you maybe think that you need to or that you do need to. But in every one of these examples that we've just given you right here, none of these infirmities were removed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 10, we know that the Apostle Paul, yes, eventually... We find that I don't think that he ever got to the point that he preached anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We don't know exactly what this was in, in chapter 12, verse uh, picking up in verse 7. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. It's tough for us to get to that point that we can actually take pleasure in our infirmities. Why was the Apostle Paul? We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. We know he prayed at least three times to have it removed, but God chose not to. He realized that, in fact, this was a good thing for him, that he not be exalted above measure, that he not get the big head, (laughs) that God did it for him. And through that, it was actually for his benefit. Epaphroditus was sick nine to death. Timothy, God could have just taken away his stomach problem, couldn't he? God could have done the same for Epaphroditus. Timophus was left behind sick. God could have healed him. God could have touched him. God's healing power is real. But God doesn't always choose. Sometimes those infirmities of the flesh, they're left there for a reason. And I know some people say, how can God get glory out of sickness? Well, God can get glory out of all kinds of things in this life. But I'll give you another very, very simple illustration. And that's the fact that my, da- my dad died as a very young man at 53 years of age. His 10th heart attack fin- finally took him out of here. And, you know, for years the doctors kept telling him, if you don't quit preaching, then you're going to die. I got news for him. I, I figured probably the last almost 20 years of his life. His service for the Lord was all that kept him going. It wasn't what killed him. And I can remember those times when when those times when he was in the hospital because he'd had another heart attack and he was there. But you know, as soon as he was able to get up out of that bed, he had a smile on his face and he was going to those other rooms and he was praying with those other people and he was leading people to Christ right there in the hospital. God got glory because they saw how he handled that sickness. God put him in that place, and he used that sickness to put him there to lead other people to Christ or to be an encouragement to other believers. I was with a dear, dear, dear friend of mine when at an early age his wife left this world with that dreaded cancer. I can remember being there with him in the hospital when she died and left this world. I can remember the faith that she had, the way that she witnessed to those nurses and those doctors, and they couldn't figure it out. How can this woman be praising God when she's in the condition she's in? I can remember with her dying breaths, she was pleading for Jerry and I to hold her hands up in the bed because she no longer had the strength to do it so she could praise God. Now that wasn't a nice thing to watch, but oh man, to see the glory because man, those medical people, they couldn't figure out what in the world. How could anybody love God and praise God when they're in such a condition? I don't claim to have all the answers, but what I want you to grasp is this, folks. The Bible gives us some insight into these infirmities, and one thing that is certain is that infirmities are always real. It wouldn't be an infirmity if it weren't real. It's there to disable you. It's there to keep you from being able to do that which needs to be done. But even though God could, God doesn't always remove infirmities. 
Sometimes what God wants to do in our life, He does because, you see, infirmities are always real. They're not always removed. But infirmities always bring a result. <laughs> they always affect us in one way or another. They have a recourse that they're going to follow. And you see, they can either be used for our advantage or our disadvantage. When we grasp these things, you see, Paul just said to us here that it was a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in his life. Folks, I came to you and I had this infirmity that would keep me from doing what I needed to do. I mean, man, I was feeble. I was terrified. I was quaking in my boots. But you see, I didn't come to impress you with me. What happened was you saw a demonstration of God doing something that this man was not capable of doing. We could look at all of these things and the illustrations that he gives us. We find that through Epaphroditus, it speaks of God having mercy, of rejoicing and, and, and being less sorrowful because of this, of receiving with gladness, of holding in, in reputation or esteem, if you would, for the work of Christ. Infirmities are real, and they're not always removed from your life. I'm saying to you that and God can use those things in your life. They can be a disadvantage if you let them beat you down. Recognize that as believers, look at these wonderful truths. Jesus Christ, He knows the feeling of your infirmity. He knows that which would disable you, that would hinder you from doing what you need to do. He knows it. He knows your feeling, and he's interceding for you. Jesus, do you think his prayers are effective? The Holy Spirit that lives within you. The Bible says when you don't even know how to pray for that infirmity, that, that thing that would hinder you and disable you, he said, the Holy Spirit's praying for you. Because he not only knows what you're going through, he knows the will of God in these things. I don't know. I don't know why that sometimes God chooses to touch and, and take away something in a, in a miraculous way that is beyond man's explanation sometimes. And praise God, I've seen him do that and it's wonderful. But I've also seen people just like these that we look at here in Scripture where their infirmities were not removed. But the result that came in their life, they allowed it to be an advantage, not a disadvantage. <laughs> you know, how many of us, if we'd been locked away like Paul and Silas in that prison cell, <laughs> how many of us would have been crying, you know, we, we shouldn't even be here. We're serving God. We're doing the best we can. Now they got me locked away in this place. But instead, they started preaching. <laughs> they started telling that jailer about Jesus, praise God. God had put them in a place where they needed to be a witness. And what happened? That jailer and his whole household come to know God. I don't know. I don't know why that we have to face some of the infirmities that we do. But God gives us some wonderful insights into those infirmities.
I want to promise you something this evening. You belong to God. If you're his child, you belong to him. Don't ever think that you got to get through this alone. He shows us over and over and over again. And it's a matter of fact, we can take pleasure in those infirmities when many times through those things, he receives glory because people see how you deal with those things, how real that God is in your life. Because it's not just the infirmities that are real, but it's a God that's real. Father, I thank you this evening that, Lord, I know I've tried to rush over some of these things and we've skipped some passages, but Lord, as you laid these passages up on our heart and our mind, we recognize and realize that so many times we grasp and struggle with the infirmities that we may face, whether they be mental, like the fear that Paul faced, whether they be physical, like these that we've read about here. Lord, there are many things that are in our lives that would hinder us and make us unable to do things, but God, the reality is, is that sometimes it's because of those very infirmities that they can be used for our advantage to be a, a greater servant. I pray, Lord, that you can help people to remember that they're not alone, whatever it is that they're struggling with. Maybe they have prayed for it to be removed as the Apostle Paul did, and yet Lord, you don't always choose to do that. But we can know that you know exactly. You know the beginning and you know the end. You've got a plan in place for us, and there's a reason why. If you choose for us to, to be able to go through this, this path in our lives, Lord, you've promised that all things are going to work together for our good if we're your called, if we're called according to your purpose. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to have insights and realize, Lord, help us not to use it as a scapegoat and not have the faith to recognize and believe that, Lord, whatever we're facing in this life, nothing is impossible with you. You may choose to remove it, but you don't always remove it. And when we have infirmities in our lives that you've chosen not to remove, I pray that you'd help us to use them for an advantageous result and not a disadvantage. Help us, Lord, to let them be used for your glory. Help us to seek how that we can use them, that somehow, some way, you can be served and you can be glorified. We give you the praise and the thanks for it. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.